0: Well, welcome, everybody. It is a real privilege. I really feel honored and humbled to be uh, addressing you yet once again. And uh, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brett Kane, and uh, I'm a retired Anglican priest, uh, but also I trained as an architect, and my home is Montreal. That's where I come from, but I have had uh, 10 wonderful years in Winnipeg, and uh, I was born in Britain, and also I spent a lot of recent time in Britain as well. So... I'm going to begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, you spoke of both judgment and love. Teach us now by your Holy Spirit how to hate what you hate and to love what you love, that we might demonstrate the righteousness and mercy of our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. You all have uh, the sheets, which have the nearly infallible version. Uh, the English version,
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, the message, and uh, a metrical version. I want to credit a couple of people, certainly Eugene Peterson and uh, Walter Brueggemann, for a lot of their insights. Uh, one of my gifts is to take other people's uh, insights and creativity and give them back to you in a palatable way. So I do credit uh, these guys and lots of other people as well. and. Um, this was part of a series I did on the Psalms uh, for, for my, the, the churches that, that I was in. And um, I really felt that it was important to tackle these uncomfortable psalms. They're called the imprecatory or the cursing psalms. And uh, as you know, in, um, as you know, in uh, a month's time, we'll be celebrating Remembrance Day. I'm gonna come back to Remembrance Day later on, but uh, one of the interesting things about living in Manitoba and British Columbia is that Remembrance Day is a really big thing. We even get the day off. This, this stuff doesn't happen in Ontario,
2: and Quebec, but we
0: get the day off, and uh, it's a civic holiday. Everybody uh, wears poppies, and, uh, uh, but it's, 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 uh, it's very interesting because I also had people from the pacifist tradition in my church in Winnipeg, and they would stay away from church on Remembrance Sunday. Um, And you might say, some of you might say, well, if uh, if you have Remembrance Day, then aren't you glorifying militarism and war and violence? And there is a danger of that. But I think the benefits far outweigh the dangers. And the value of Remembrance Sunday, I think, not only allows us to remember those who have served and also died, in the defense of those who are oppressed and are at risk, but it keeps before us the realities of anger and violence, of hatred and revenge, of retribution and justice. And these are probably not the everyday topics that you have, but they are things that need to be kept before us. And so these are major features of the Bible, these themes, and uh, some of the Psalms Uh, do focus on these a tremendous amount. They're called the imprecatory psalms. So in this lecture, we're going to look at one of the most gruesome of them all, Psalm 137. And as we do this, we will see that there is a time to love and a time to hate. So let's look first at the nature and uh, prevalence of the imprecatory psalms. Uh, About 20 years ago, I began to follow the prayer book pattern This is uh, our Anglican old prayer book, and uh, I began to follow the the pattern where where the clergy, and of course everybody else is is welcome to do so, but we're supposed to say morning prayer every day, and I don't say morning prayer every day, I I do have my daily devotions and so on and follow a, a regular pattern of scripture reading, but one thing which I was missing, and especially after I had preached on the Psalms, I realized what I was missing, and so One of the patterns of Anglican worship is that you go through the Psalms, the Psalter, every month, all 150 of them. And, of course, as I read the Psalms over and over again, I began to see there was a great focus of enemies. And uh, Eugene Peterson has said that God is the primary subject in the Psalms, but enemies are established in second place, solid second place. And it says, the people who pray in the Psalms seem to have an awful lot of enemies. (laughs) And uh, they don't react too kindly toward them either. And right next to some of the most intimate and sublime prayers to God, we find the most vindictive and negative preoccupation with enemies. And uh, one commentary describes imprecatory Psalms as, prayer songs so designated because of their particularly vigorous attitude towards the enemy. The the verb imprecate means to pray evil against or to invoke curse upon another, hence the name for these prayers. I wonder if you have imprecatory prayers or psalms? Do you (laughs) call down curses? I don't know. Now, how many of these psalms are there? There are various, I found out on the internet, non identical lists which overlap, but a summary glance reveals at least 29 Psalms which could be seen as such. Here are a few examples of the cursing passages Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur, a scorching wind will be their lot. This is a good one. (laughs) Oops, that's a bad one. I miss that one. Back on, because it's a precious one. Okay, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Like a slug melting away as it moves along, like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. Let's read this one together. <laughs> may their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. And who, maybe another person would like to read this little number.
1: Make them like tumbleweed.
0: Go on.
3: Make them like tumbleweed, oh my God, like chaff before the wind's. As fire consumes the forest, or a flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest, and terrify them with your storm.
2: And
0: here's a good one. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. And then if only you would slay the wicked, O God, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And then at the end of today's psalm, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, Happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Now, this is all Scripture, but can you say this is the word of the Lord? Is it fit for public consumption? Well, I want. We're we'll do a little experiment here. Who would like to be a volunteer here? Okay, great. I want you to find uh, Psalm 58, please. I, I marked this up there. Okay, that's great. Okay, I can find, uh, it's, the, 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 it's, it's marked there. That's the reading. Okay, now, can you find Psalm 58 in the Psalms? Uh, I see Psalm 57 and Psalm 59. Oh, that's interesting. There's no Psalm 58. Whoa, interesting. All right, and then go beyond there uh, to the next big marker. That's okay. it. And uh, I think you'll come across Psalm 137. How many verses are in Psalm 137?
2: Just six.
0: Six. Oh, that's interesting. How many verses in the sheet I gave you? Nine. 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 All right. So they've left out some verses. All right. Now, this is the new prayer book. And they have a reading, which is Psalm 137. Which verses do we read? One through six. One through (laughs) six. Okay. Now, I must say the Revised Common Lectionary does allow you to read the whole thing. But you can see people have been very hesitant. I mean, you've got children in church. You know, do you want your kids to hear these songs? Not really. It's, it's, it's very hard. Okay. Not so, teenager, not, <laughs> so. the question is, how, there's a book of common prayer, and uh, now, how do you have, how do you handle such raw emotion which seems to run so counter to Jesus' teaching, love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So to answer these questions, we will first look at Psalm 137 in more detail and then draw out the implications of the cursing passages for ourselves. There is something for ourselves to take away with. So, and because the Psalms were the hymn book of the ancient temple, they were the praise music, we have to sing the psalm because Psalms were meant to be sung. And so we are going to sing the metrical version of the Psalm. No, on my
2: computer, oh, my
0: computer. It, it, no, 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 Liz. Uh, sorry, uh, beg your pardon, Liz, we forgot to tell you. <laughs>
2: By Babel's streams we sat and wept when Zion we thought on. In midst thereof we hanged our harps, the willow trees upon. For there a song required they who did us captive bring. Our spoilers called for mirth and said, A song of Zion sing. Oh, how the Lord's song shall we sing Within a foreign land, If the Jerusalem I forget Still part from my right hand.
1: My tongue to
2: my mouth roof let cleave if I do thee forget Jerusalem and thee above my chief joy do not set.
1: Remember
2: Edom's children, Lord, who in Jerusalem's day Even unto its foundation, raise, raise it, quite did say. O daughter thou of Babylon, near to destruction, blessed shall ye be that thee rewards as thou to us hast done. Yea, happy surely shall he be, thy tender little ones, who shall lay hold upon, and them shall dash against the stones. Amen.
4: So,
0: anyway, I don't know how you felt about that. Let's uh, read it together. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Now you notice that Psalm 137 is not really a prayer addressed to God, except verse 7. It's really a a lament. It is a cry of the heart. And it comes from a time that you know that the Jews were languishing in exile Uh, beside the canals on the plains of Babylon and their home city of Jerusalem was in ruins the temple was destroyed and the people transported a thousand miles away to pagan Babylon and so they sang or they said by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion there on the poplars we hung our harps for there our captors asked us for songs our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now here, this is a relief from Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh, which depicts three prisoners of war playing lyres as they are marched along by an armed soldier. And like these three unfortunates, the Jews in their despondent state are asked, tormented, taunted, to sing songs of Zion, Jewish songs. But they cannot; the humiliation and the pain is too great. And Walter Brueggemann states that relates that such a scandalous scene was savagely repeated in the death camp of Treblinka, where Jews were forced to sing and dance of their Jewishness. It was part of the humiliation, intending to rob Jews of their identity, their dignity, and their hope. So here in Babylon. Peterson says, silence is their only dignity. The psalm continues in defiance. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So they refuse to expose the songs of the Lord to ridicule. But this is not a mark of defeatism. It springs from a burning loyalty and a defiant hope, a desire to uphold God's character and God's justice. It is a posture of counterculture which leads to the outbursts in the final verses, and these are the ones which are omitted from public readings. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you for what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It's interesting, the word happy or blessed is used twice. Now, you know other Psalms where they use happy and blessed? Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as well. The happy person there is the one who pays attention to God's law or his messianic presence. Here, the happy one is the one who pays back enemies for their evil deeds. It is pure hate. And so we are uncomfortable and we are awkward. But Brueggemann comments such a statement might be an embarrassment to bourgeois folk who have never lost that much, been abused that much, or hoped that much. But such a statement is not embarrassing to those who have been marginalized long enough. What if we were the victims of the Rwandan or Balkan genocide, the refugee lost boys of the Sudan, the terrorized in Darfur, feuding Palestinians and Jews, abused children or raped women. In such deep anguish, one dare never say forget. And so the call is to remember. And it's interesting, I have heard many times well, the native people, you know, we've apologized to them. we paid them money. You know, let's get on with things. Why are they always bringing this up? Can they, can they never get over it? Well, I heard a very interesting parallel on the weekend. We still celebrate. W- w- when did World War I finish? 1918. Uh, 1918. And what's today's date? 1919.
2: 1919.
0: 19. And we still remember World War I there is a purpose in remembering. There is a purpose in remembering. And for those of us who have not do not come in these categories, it's hard for us to realize that, that the act of remembering is an important part of the healing process. It's interesting that the call to remember in verse seven is rooted in legal life. And it wants to present the judge with the evidence and facts against the oppressors, and the call to repay evil for evil in verses 8 and 9 asks the Lord to take action. There is no sense here that the Jews in Babylon would be taking matters into their own hands and doing that to the children there. They knew the scripture from Deuteronomy three thirty-two thirty-five, 35 which says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And the prophecies for the time of exile declared, See, it stands written before me. I will, uh, I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps. So God will bring justice, but they're pleading, they're asking for justice, and in their anguish, they call on God to take action. And in this case, in this sense, you can read the final verses not as a literal call for infanticide, but a call that violence and injustice be acknowledged and dealt with. And I think you can see this if you use the following inflection. Happy is the one who repays you for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It takes out of the literal, but it said, this is how I feel. So it's not childish outburst, but it is faithful tenacity. And it's interesting because the curses called down on their enemies are paralleled by curses they call down upon themselves. If they forget God and his salvation plan to deal with the evil represented by Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. So they're calling curses down upon themselves. A cry which expresses a capacity to endure to hold on in the face of complete disaster, a voice which fights off despair, encounters evil, and calls on wickedness to be exposed and confronted. So what does this say as a message for us? I think, first of all, that hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. Hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. Hate is our emotional link with the spirituality of evil. Hate is our emotional link with the spirituality of evil. It is the volcanic eruption of outrage when the holiness of being, ours or another's, has been violated, another quote from Peterson. We need to grapple with the wickedness of evil, sin, and expose it, to see it for what it really is, not to hide or repress it. Hate is often the first sign that we care. From Peterson. And just as pain leads us to pray to God for help, so hate leads us to taking a stand against injustice. Prayer does not legitimize hate. It uses it. Just as pain leads us to our need for help, Get a doctor in, someone to help us fix this arm, stop this blood. So, hate leads us to our need for righteousness. Our hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. Second thing is the second message for us is to uphold justice and righteousness. We want to take right and wrong seriously, to stand up for justice. And it's interesting, the list of woes in Luke 6. Woe to you who are rich, well-fed, who laugh, who are spoken well of, imply injustice towards the poor and vulnerable. This is a quote from Howard Peskett. Singing praise songs is not an escape from addressing public justice issues. So evil is seductive. And the imprecatory Psalms underline the reality of good and evil and that we must not be lulled into thinking that the world is a benign place where everything works out right. When the Psalmist cries out in Psalm 10, break the arm of the wicked and evil man, it is followed with, call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. And the theme is replayed again and again in popular action movies in the film, Uh, live free and die hard, the reluctant hero Bruce Willis fights against the unrestrained evil of a rebuffed government, computer programmer, who brings terror and anarchy to a whole nation to prove he was right. Justice is done and the brutal violence spoken of in the Cursing Psalms is displayed very graphically on the screen. We complain that this may lead to violence, but does it have a higher function by underlining the innate need we all feel for justice to be done? Whatever the answer, we need to be clear that there is right and wrong, and these psalms emphasize that for us. So hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. We need to uphold justice and righteousness. The second is acknowledge hatred within ourselves. We need to acknowledge the feelings of anger and not minimize them, because when we are faced with these psalms, we are meant to reflect on our own resentment and anger. And the preacher, Fleming Rutledge, quotes a wise Benedictine monk who says, uh, monk, if you can't handle the violence in the Psalms, you can't come to to terms with the violence in yourself. If you can't handle the violence in the Psalms, you can't come to terms with the violence in yourself. Don't just say, it was nothing. It wasn't that bad. You didn't really mean it. When it was something, it was that bad, and he or she really meant it. When something negative happens, express your anger, acknowledge it. And we could draw a parallel with grief here. With grief, we must truly mourn the loss of something, good or bad, in order to move on. And it's the same thing with anger. Acknowledge your desire for revenge, work it through, and then give it up. And this is well illustrated by a story known as My Messy House. It's by Catherine Norris, an American spiritual writer and artist who also works with children. And she speaks about asking children to write their own psalms and relates that their poems often have an emotional directness that is similar to the biblical psalter. And she says, Children who are picked on by their big brothers and sisters can be remarkably adept when it comes to writing cursing psalms. (laughs) And I believe that the writing process offers them a safe haven in which to work through their desires for vengeance in a healthy way. And once a little boy wrote a poem called The Monster Who Was Sorry. He began by admitting that he hates it when his father yells at him. His response in the poem was to throw his sister down the stairs and then to wreck his room and finally to wreck the whole town. The poem concludes then i sit in my messy house and say to myself i shouldn't have done all that <laughs> so my messy house says it all with more honesty than most adults could have mustered the boy made a metaphor of him for himself that admitted the depth of his rage and also gave him a way out if that boy had been a novice in the 4th century monastic desert his elders might have told him that he was well on the way towards repentance, not such a monster after all, but only human. If the house is messy, they might have said, why not clean it up? Why not make it into a place where God might wish to dwell? Acknowledge hatred within yourself. So pray the hate, uphold righteousness and justice, Acknowledge hatred within yourself, and finally, leave vengeance to God. We've noted that Psalm 137 is a call to God to take action, and the corollary is, if we call on God to take action, we've gotta leave it in his hands. And in his comments on the Psalmist's long, this is from Psalm 109, 15 verses, vitriolic tirade against his enemies, Walter Brueggemann points out that in submitting one's rage two things become clear. One is that the submission to the Lord is real and irreversible. We've given it to the Lord. It cannot be tentatively offered to God and then taken back if He doesn't do what you'd hoped. We are agreeing with God when He says that vengeance is mine. In other words, it is not ours. And the second thing that becomes clear to us is that this submission to God means that god is free to act in his own way and his own time not as we would wish or hope we do not just dictate to god what he must do we leave any action in his hands and there is a third result which is liberation for ourselves by releasing our anger we are freeing ourselves from pettiness and paralysis for praise and thanksgiving, which is how Psalm 109 ends. With my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. So our hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. We uphold justice and righteousness. We acknowledge hatred within ourselves, and we leave vengeance to God. Someone read the the version from the message, please.
1: Alongside Babylon's
2: rivers, we sat on the banks. We cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. Alongside the quaking aspens, we stacked our unplayed harps. That's where our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking. Sing us a happy Zion song.
0: Oh, how could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? I ever forget you, Jerusalem, that my fingers wither and fall off like leaves, that my tongue swell and turn black if I fail to remember you, if I fail, O oh dear Jerusalem, to honor you as my
2: greatest. God, remember those Edomites, and remember the ruin of Jerusalem, that day they yelled out, wreck it, smash it to bits, and you Babylonians,
0: ravagers, a reward to whoever gets back at you for all you have done to us. Yes, a reward to the one who grabs your babies and smashes their heads on the rock leave the ultimate word to Jesus. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. However, in order to love our enemies, we have to know who they are and who they are, where they are, we have to know that they're there, and who they are. So don't live in naivety. Our hate is used by God to bring the enemies of life and salvation to notice. And then involve us in active compassion for the victims. And the victims are both the recipients of evil and the perpetrators of it. There is a time to love and there is a time to hate. Just pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, we do pray for any feelings that have been raised in these past past a few minutes, Lord Jesus. Pray, O Lord, that you would bring your uh, light into the situation. For those of us, Lord, who've needed to express anger but have not, we pray, O Lord, that you would give us the channel and the opportunity to do so. Pray, O Lord, that you'd help us to pray through our hate, to acknowledge justice and righteousness you would help us Lord to leave vengeance to you and Lord that we would acknowledge hatred within ourselves. Thank you that we have a Savior who has borne the hatred and the anger of the entire human race on the cross. Thank you Lord that his blood washes us clean and draws all people to himself. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Amen.
5: So now is the time that where we can ask questions. Uh, and I have a question already for you. Uh, <coughs> thank you very much. I mean, it's uh, s- simplicity and profundity at the same time. So thank you very much for <laughs> reading it all out and taking Psalm 137 as a a place to begin. One thing I was thinking about with uh, the message for us about acknowledging hatred and leaving it for God. Um, Sometimes people come to Labrie because they hear in churches, particularly in American evangelical churches, uh, from the pulpit uh, where there's a condemnation of those who are wrecking the culture or something like that and, you know, or even Westboro Baptist, they're not acting against people, uh, uh at least mm-hmm. physically, they may have protest signs show up at funerals, whatnot, or maybe there's a political sermon. So, so how do we think about those who don't actually cause physical violence? And they might say, yeah, I, I find myself fully in line with what you just said. Where where would you push back against someone like that?
0: Very good question. Very good question. Because, I mean, I get mad <laughs> when I see these people, you know, with their placards and saying that that's not the gospel. So I think there is anger at a number of levels because obviously they are working the anger underneath. And I, was it? was in one of the recent editorials of our Canadian newspapers, which actually said, oh no, it was in The Guardian, and it was an article about uh, our friends to the South, and what the motivation was for evangelicals, and this is in a secular paper, why did evangelicals vote for Trump? And this very perceptive person, and this is fascinating, because even though Britain is a secular culture, they allow religion to have its say, which is great. And he said it's because out of fear. And, and, and the, the author said, of all people, evangelicals should be not acting out of fear. So I think that would be a very good point to kind of mention, to say, well, now, why are you acting? You know, what is your basic motivation here? Is it fear or is it over injustice? Is it, is it over some, you know, are, are you angry because God's law has been broken or is it out of fear that everything we, we know is falling apart? Because I think you probably have to dissect those because I'm sure it's probably mixtures of both. And then human sin gets in and then you end up with people saying all oh, these people are gonna to go to hell, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, you know, and kind of declaring in, in God's name that they know where people's eternal destiny is going to be, which I think is pretty uh, presumptuous. Um, so I, I think we, we do need, I mean, people have said, you know, the people who voted for Trump, were the people who felt angry because they had been dispossessed of their jobs and everything else, it's all gone overseas, everything else. So, and that's what I've always said too. The, the, I wouldn't say to elect Mr. Trump is the right thing to do, but I would say obviously he's uncovered an anger there which needs to be addressed, the good part and the bad part. So I think as Christians too, I think just to be facile and just to kind of say, oh, well, you know, this is all of the devil, um, I think you need to kind of be a bit more discerning and kind of trying to work out yes, we do have a case, but how are we going to express that case and how are we going to do it in such a way which is redemptive? But in the the case,
5: thank you. But yeah, yeah I'm, I, I agree with that, uh, especially in the political realm. But you take something like Westboro, yes. Baptist, um, they would say it is a, it's a breaking of God's law. And they're tired of society turning a blind eye or something like this. Apparently.
0: I have a biblical quote for them. Yeah, please. Because this is the quote I use for the liberals. Yes. And that is Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Uh, you know, he said, You know, where, you know, where are your accusers? And they've gone. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So I see that as a Christian attitude that you say, I do not condemn but I don't uphold your lifestyle. You see, it's a totally different approach. Whereas I see the people at Westboro, I see condemnation and hatred. And I see that as unmasking this horrible, you know, uh, d- d- demonic uh, hatred underneath. So that's not a godly hatred. You know, or it's, 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 it's been eaten up. The, the genuine hatred for sin has been eaten up by this fear and so on. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. in humility
1: I, I don't have an interpretation but I do have an anecdote and uh, I, I may leave the interpretation to you uh, which is um, when I was in Jerusalem uh, a number of years ago now I, I stumbled across not the um, Holocaust Museum but a Holocaust Museum and in, in one of the Holocaust Museums I went to <coughs> there was this vest this jacket um, was made by a, a Jewish tailor for a um, uh, a Nazi officer, and the uh, and it w- and it was made out of it, all the writing was in Hebrew and it was made out of scripture. Um, I don't read Hebrew. I didn't know what to make of it, and I, I read the little plaque on the side, and it, it gave a story of how this Nazi officer had um, had insisted that this Jewish tailor uh, rip up Torah scrolls and and make this jacket for Mm. him. But if you were to read all of the bits that were on that particular jacket, that jacket was only made out of of verses such as what... what, what Powerful. <laughs> uh you had posted up, up there it was it was all you know the curses that would be put on those who do harm to israel yeah. and yeah. such just cursing of his coat like he said yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> brilliant so, really so i i i don't know how to i don't know what else to say about that but like to give that to you but to just to think about sort of artistically how even something like this could can't can, Something like these verses can be used in, yes. in
0: excellent, excellent. contexts like, like the um, Nazi regime. Excellent.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's cool. Isn't,
6: isn't he a lot of <coughs> the, same, the writer of this song? Isn't he very much in the same position that Jesus was, though? I mean, I realized they, they were back in Jerusalem, back in the Holy Land, but on the other hand, they were really still in exile because they were. Under, they were being taxed to death by the Romans, they were being brutally treated by the Romans, brutally kept in line and everything else. So it, in, in, in effect they were still in exile. And it wasn't Jesus' message that it wasn't, you know, they might view the Romans as the enemy, but it wasn't really Romans. the Romans that were the enemy, but it was the evil, the evil powers or whatever, however you want to put it, the evil that stands behind the evil in the hearts, if you like, of the Romans. And so the, the way to, to defeat the Romans was to love them, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, etc., etc., etc. So isn't this, you know, what the Psalmist is saying? Really, the antithesis of what of what Jesus was saying is, is like a, like it's sort of 180 degrees out of whack of what Jesus' message was. And I, I don't see how you can you know how you can put the two together.
0: Well, I mean, Jesus knew the Psalms very well. And, of course, he quoted Psalm 22 on the cross. And I expect he was quoting Psalm 23 at the same time. Nobody's ever said that, but they're right next to one another. And if they are together in the Hebrew Bible, then I wouldn't be surprised that he was doing that. Um, You know, Jesus quotes from the Psalms and so on an awful lot. So he was very much aware of these imprecatory Psalms. He says, you know, you've been told to hate your enemies, but I say love them. Um, I would say that he is going against the attitude which is, which is not just dealing with your feelings, but it's actually, you know, like these Westboro Baptist people, where it's all condemnation. And all, you know, so, so there's, uh, there's no redemption in the yeah. hatred. I mean, I like the analogy with pain. You know, I mean, pain isn't good. I mean, you don't want pain. But gosh, if we didn't have pain, then we wouldn't know there was something wrong with us
6: but but if, uh, the thing is i guess if you in in jesus case if you look at the romans and say it's not it's not the, the roman soldier that's the enemy it's the evil behind then that gives you a, a, a something of an empathy yes. with with the romans so, th- so you have it, it gives you something of a bond as a place to latch on to and start and then and then of course he goes on to, and the way so the way you defeat the, the romans by defeating evil yes. is is with love
0: yes that's right but you've got to work in the, with the reality of the fact that there has been abuse, and you've got to acknowledge that abuse. And if you don't acknowledge that abuse, then you'll just end up excusing it, you see? So it's a two-sided coin, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, Jesus did say, you know, give to the Romans, give to Caesar what's to Caesar's, and to God what's God's.
6: Yeah. No, I don't see it as excusing it. But it's, it's 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 the way that you deal with it. Yeah. Like you know, like you were talking about World War One. What did you do after the Treaty of World War One? We had the Versailles Treaty I know. Of Versailles, and what was a very punitive award. And you know, really, as a result of that, we want it with World War Two. Exactly. And then so we have a VA day that you know we we sell you know celebrate. These kind of, I know, I remember it was World War One, but we you know, but we celebrate V E Day, but really. It was one, when we started with the Marshall Plan and everything else, to, to build relationship, build friendship, you know, with the Germans. Yeah. You know, to, so what we have today, so now they're allies and not yep. not enemies. Exactly. And so it, it, it was love that, that won the war, the, you know, which it was Christ's message.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I
5: would like to add to that. Yes. Yeah. Because um, I know, I think it was George, George Bernard Shaw, George... Bernard Shaw who was no friend of Christianity uh, he felt that the Old Testament was um, uh, muddied with violence and not just sacrifice but just vengeance and mm-hmm. war but he thought the New Testament was far worse because it, it, it spoke of an eternal dimension and Jesus spoke of hell more than anyone else in the bible and sure he's not being uh in a sense vindictive but he is laying it out clearly and he, sp- and he speaks about one kicked out of a wedding banquet how did you get it you know he tells stories on the side but it's of his rule uh and he talks about those who will be given over to the gnashing of teeth and uh and he says woe to you you whitewashed tombs and so it seems that Jesus himself had, had um, a strong strand to him as well. I mean, In some places, he tells Peter to put the sword away, but he also says, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword or something like that, yeah. or to divide That's families exactly. or something like that. that. That's right. So that. I, I think that Jesus was not just, Old Testament is about war and violence, the bad God, and then the New Testament is the good God, where Jesus is talking about love. But actually, someone like George Bernard Shaw saw that actually there's a continuity between the two. And in and, and some ways, in Jesus, the stakes are higher. The love is higher, but also the stakes of rejecting that love is
2: higher. Yeah. And,
0: and also, if I may mention as well, the um, <coughs> Book of Revelation comes down very hard on Rome.
6: Mm. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of those things uh, in the New Testament, I think, are about the political situation at, at the time I think you can almost draw a parallel between a situation you know in Jerusalem you know 2000 years ago with say Holland in 1942 <laughs> and Jesus is going around saying you know the way to de- defeat these Romans is, is we love them we turn the other cheek now how is that message going to sell in Holland in 1942 isn't that message going to divide families and turn one against another you know it was this anti-revolutionary message You know, I I don't think it's about an eternal hell. It's it's about it's a revolutionary message about dealing with the Romans. And and you know, if you keep going this revolutionary route, you know, head for the hills. You know, you know, get get out of town, get yourself safe, get get away, get out of Jerusalem. Well, that revolution was
5: of love, but it was also.
6: But he also laid claim to. He almost pulled back
5: the veil of like you said. It's not just the Roman guards. It's you know, um, get behind me, Satan you know he he was trying to say actually there's a greater evil at work than just human hearts and so yes human humans are here and we want to condemn no more we want people to go and sin no more and his revolution was about love and there was a revolution that would divide families over that but he was also saying there's a greater unseen war at um and there's greater cost in this battle it's not just that he was carrying around uh you know um a booklet with, you know, kind of like the 60s hippies kind of thing. Uh, but but more of something that, yes, you have to be able to even forgive, uh, like Solzhenitsyn was saying, you know, I can't divide re- humans between political parties or classes. Evil and good divide every human heart. but But Jesus sees that, but also sees what's behind the human heart is, you know, there's the glory of God, but there's also... The vengeance of uh,
0: his adversary. Okay, thank you too. Uh, other questions from others? Comments? I would, I would yes.
3: Just want to come back to something that you had mentioned before about a godly hatred, and I was wondering, you said it. I remember. Said it wasn't a godly hatred, and I was just wondering, what would you consider is a godly hatred?
0: I think yes. I mean, um, well, for instance, in the New Testament. Jesus had a, an, an aversion for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I mean, he was really strong. I mean, he had his—he held—he had his worst—he held his worst statements for what we would say as the evangelicals or the Catholics of the day. You know, the people who were biblical Christians, people who were biblical people, he had the most condemnation. So, I mean, he was very, very strong about that.
3: I think of the instance where he was in the temple and his uh, fury uh, came out in him turning over the tables of those who were using the temple for um, their own uh, secular money-raising pursuits and um, just whipped in fury. And because of a denial of um, what God's place was supposed to be, um, so there was there uh, his his fury, uh, his anger. It, it almost it almost sounds like he lost control when when you read the passage, um, and yet everything that you've been saying you had as, as I recall four points <coughs> towards the end and in our relationships when our anger just blows up or someone else's anger individual or corporate uh, just blows up um, defusing it is often not what happens what happens is that the other side then mounts up and it's fury upon fury upon fury and it just gets out of control Somewhere along the way, the answer seems to be of somebody saying, uh, no, 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 sorry, i got to backtrack. Um, this is wrong. I was wrong. But it doesn't often seem to happen. Mm. It just m- keeps mounting up. That's so sad. Mm. that a help or... Yeah, so I guess, I mean, by godly hatred, you mean like sort of a righteous hatred?
0: Yes, yes. You know, that when you see somebody <laughs> being abused anger. and and so on, yeah, that you just or or someone being uh, taking advantage of a person who's powerless and so on, and we should feel that hatred. We should feel that anger.
3: Okay, and and the, and the hatred itself isn't necessarily like some evil thing. It's just no, it, it is the reaction to.
0: But it needs to be worked through, you see. I mean, this is I think all anger needs to be worked through. Um, and I even think that anger against God is also valid because that happens in the Psalms. But the, the key is is that the psalmist gets angry and then he or she listens. And I think a lot of us, and I've met with examples, I have a, my, my best story ever, was this guy when I was a theological student and uh, I was ordained, so I had a collar on so I could be recognized. And it was a, an English hospital ward with umpteen beds. You know, in, in those days, this is in the ancient times, when the world's crust was just cooling over. Um, but uh, you know, we would go into the wards in the middle of the week and then we'd go in on Sundays and we'd actually lead a service on the ward, you see. We were told by the, because it was an orthopedic hospital, everybody was up, so we were told never to sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. <laughs> anyway so i'm on the, i'm there on a wednesday and i'm like 15 feet away from this guy and he yells at me i don't want to talk about religion and the hatred that came i was just i was just oh, i said fine anyway i'm thinking on sunday what am i going to do you know i'm going to see this guy again anyway so after the service no I, he stayed for the service anyway so afterwards i kind of went past he says don't talk about religion i said that's okay i said i'm just here to be friends okay okay but don't talk about religion So then I sat down beside his bed and he talked to me about religion for the next 15 minutes. And he was so angry at something that had happened to his child. But you see, that was an anger that he had closed the door. He got angry at God and then closed the door and was never open to God addressing his anger. So it's good to be angry, but it's very important that you then listen to God. I mean, that's slightly different from the righteous anger. But, um, but I think, you know, I mean, the, the, the very existence of eternal damnation is, uh, you know, an, an existence of, of, you know, that, that you know, that, that there is evil is evil and it must be dealt with. And if we click, if we cling on to that evil, then we are destroyed with it. But if we release that evil into Christ, then it is removed from us. And yeah. that is the hope that we have.
6: Tom Wright says, if you fight evil with evil, evil is bound to win. Yes.
0: Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> good point somebody else yes
1: yeah one example that's sort of coming to mind is the me too movement Um, the me too movement yes yes because I feel like there was like a very righteous anger but then it didn't necessarily get worked through and and I liked your point I can't remember exactly what you said but just that that like this this desire for justice is both For the victim as well as for the perpetrators. Yes, yes. And and so we should, Mm -hmm. you know, for the people who commit these crimes, it's also bad for their souls. (laughs) And so it's not like, like these horrible things have been done to the victims, but also the world needs to be set right so that those who are committing the crimes don't aren't it living in this dark state, too. Right,
0: exactly, so. which would tie in with, with, with what Greg has said. Yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, that's what Jesus wants. He wants freedom, and he, he wants freedom f- for the Nazis. Right. He wants freedom for the Romans. Mm-hmm. And we see glimpses, of course, throughout the New Testament of Romans, even Romans in you know, soldiers, you know, the centurion who, who claims, you know, truly this was the son of God, mm-hmm. and his care. You know, and, and then Cornelius, the first uh, you know, non-Jewish person, to receive the Holy Spirit,
6: the Samaritans were the outsider, and Jesus tells yeah, the to good well. Samaritan.
0: That, that 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 they're all, yeah. But I think you know, and, and in Ephesians, of course, Paul says, "Be angry and do not sin." And it's a great, you know, it's a. But I think a lot of us, so many of us from uh, uh, an Anglo-Saxon, Caucasian background, especially Canadians, are awfully nice. And, and British come second to that. and Americans are not quite as nice, but, but they can be. Um, but you meet a Jewish person. Oh, they are much more forthright. They're not so nice. They tell you what, what, what things are like. I mean, they don't have that background. And, and you can even, you know, Jewish Christians, they still come across as being very candid, very forthright. You're supposed to be a Christian, you know, but no, that's their character, and that's part of their biblical character.
4: So I have a, a cute story, but it's just because I want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. But it's a true story, and it's fun. I just um, I went to Indonesia, and then on close to my way back, I got stuck beside a Jew who was a, and I'm not Christian, so I don't don't know the Bible or anything, but and then. I hear. Him, I don't know how it happened, but and I think, I think the Jew doesn't believe in Jesus or something.
0: No, the, the Jews don't believe in Jesus. That's, okay.
4: That's okay. So and he's talking to me, and he's from Israel. So yeah. He's got the long curls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and he's really cool to me. And then he, and then I said, look, I'm not Christian, but does it said somewhere in the Bible that the guys who was the guy would come in Jerusalem on a donkey and and, and And I don't think there's anybody else that's going to arrive on a donkey at this (laughs) point. (laughs) And he he just said, huh, does it say that number one? I don't know, but I I, I heard that it does. He said, I'm going to go check that out. That's neat. (laughs) So I don't know if he did, but that's just a story. That is neat.
0: (laughs) No, that is is so neat. That is so neat.
4: I really wonder if he did. (laughs) That
0: would be wonderful if he could. Because, you see, the thing is, our anger towards... See, that's another example of unrighteous anger. You see, the Christians got angry at the Jews and then blamed the Jews for killing Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see? And so that has been a stumbling block mm-hmm. for years. Whereas it's clear, everybody killed Jesus. I mean, the Jews right. killed Jesus. Uh, the Romans killed Jesus. We're all responsible. Mm-hmm. You know?
4: I watched the, uh, the Bible, the TV series, which is awesome, on Netflix. And, <laughs> and uh, I think... Did Jesus went to kill himself. He knew he was going to die. Yeah, yeah. He so nobody.
0: He kind of he allowed it to happen. It was amazing because that was you know because at various points before that he didn't allow it. You see, he stopped it and he he escaped, etc., etc. But when things were all set up so that in this last week it was uh, it was the the celebration of Passover, Mm -hmm. and the symbolism was so strong because you know the the passover was when the israelites escaped egypt you see and it was the blood of the lamb that allowed them to escape so jesus is saying when my blood is shed it's not just a physical freedom you get but it's a freedom for eternity it's a deliverance from sin you see and so that was his whole pinpoint why he allowed that to happen on that particular day amazing Mm
6: -hmm. you should tell that
0: Right. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to give uh, oh, no, if you great. no, no, I no, no, no. no. Lindsay Lindsay, go, yeah, go, go
1: ahead
7: I just, I still am I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like how we practically engage with, like we're talking about anger and justice, but engaging with the Psalms in a very literal way like, okay, let's say you're reading through Psalm 139 and it's like Blessings you pray over someone, or this is—it's a—it's a psalm of just beautiful love of God's endearing faithfulness, and then you get to the, like the last two verses, and it's like, and I count, I hate my enemies. Exactly. And I Constantly, you know, have I've I've skipped over those verses myself, yep. and and I was thinking about what you said earlier about how, like, especially depending on where, like, your background, and like, I've grown up in a very privileged life, and I don't like understand the immediacy of wanting to pray that kind of anger towards a specific enemy or people group, and I just, like, except for, like, maybe back generationally or what happened to my ancestors, but I personally, like, I'm convicted by that and by my discomfort. And I just wonder, like, how do we, like, what do we make of the fact that it's not in the prayer book? Like, what do we, how do we engage with parts of the Psalms that, like, there are other parts that are, like, his love endures forever, right? And yep. we can pray those at any season because they're always true. But, but these verses that are like prayed out of places of deep lament and desire for to see justice, <coughs> yes, we can always be desiring justice, but praying those prayers 24-7 is different than praying all the time that he is good. Yep. And so how do we treat the Psalms accordingly Yes. as we're praying through them? Good
0: point. I guess remembering some of the things that we we've talked about this evening, but also I think using some of the psalms maybe with people when we come across people who've been abused or people who've been uh, you know uh, in deep deep you know very sad situations and maybe we allow them to uh, to read it. I mean this is I mean I agree that you know to say Psalm fifty eight out loud in church is not the greatest thing to 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 say, but just because it's not read in church, I mean. We don't do certain things in public,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, for instance, there, there are children present, you know. I mean, it would have been hard, I think, if Samuel and Sarah Beth had been here this evening, mm. you know, for them to read these things. You know, it's a certain, you know, certain things are not appropriate. But then, but you do work with these things. Same goes for Song of Songs. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yes. yeah I mean, how,
0: how often do you read the Song of Songs in public?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, you know, it's just hopefully what we've seen through this evening and some of the thinking here, we can say turn these psalms and use them in situations like that. But maybe because you know, it's um, maybe we don't, you know, people are afraid to be honest with us, and, and and if they, you know, if we can point out some of these psalms are being very honest.
4: I appreciate what you shared tonight because it reminds me that God can handle all of our emotions. Mm. He can handle it, and that should be part of our prayer life. Uh, our just raw honesty yes. before Him, and the Psalms are a model for us to pray. Like he, David, often starts up, "Where yeah. are you, oh God?" <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Where, why, you know? And we can come to God; He can handle, like our just crying out to Him like that. And then as you said, that, but then we have to listen and we have to remember. But Lord, I remember your goodness. And then we recount his goodness. And, yeah.
0: Excellent. Beautiful. Yeah. I think... Sorry, go ahead. Sometimes it's hard for us to accept how bad evil is. Uh, if it was bad enough for, for God himself... To die.
2: Well, I don't think we can enter into that. No. Oh. That's
0: right. Yeah. I think it's also, you know, I'm sure if we had been around the how the, you know, in power in Nazi Germany, the halls of power, these guys they had wives and children, you know, nice homes. You know, it, it it's um. but then we have to realize how evil the system is and so on and how evil people can fall. And God wants to separate us from that evil Mm -hmm. because otherwise we will get destroyed with it. Amen. Yeah, I mean it's, it's, but I I think Jewish people of all people know the evil because they are persecuted just for being who they are. They can't help it. And it's not that the Jews are particularly religious. And one of the big shocks of me going to the Holy Land was how few religious Jews there were. I went to a kibbutz with 400 people. They couldn't get 10 guys together to have a a Sabbath service. I was shocked. I thought all these Jews would be there, you know, worshipping and everything else. It's a tiny minority.
6: You should tell that story about what happened at our wine fest.
0: Oh yeah, but this is, okay. This is a lovely story. This happened here in Central Sanit. Okay, this happened a couple of weeks ago. Three, well, four, four weeks ago. Um, a number of the churches on on the peninsula have have been sponsoring refugee families, and, and uh, the, the, they're S- Syrian and and Muslim. And so the one that we've been most involved with with other churches is um, they have seven children and four adults and so on, and. Uh, the children are now quite proficient in English, and, and they were uh, at the wine fest. So this is and this wine fest is all all the Christian churches and was there any non-Christian. I think well, no, no, anyway, no,
6: there's about four, I think. Yeah, well, it's, it's
0: four Christian churches, the, yeah, but yeah, for I'm the, the, the benefit of society, like to help the hospital and so on. It was really a kind of a general thing. It wasn't a religious thing. It was just to help you know improve society. It wasn't to get, get a new roof for the church. Anyway, so yeah. our. Our refugee family, the two, was it the two eldest kids?
6: Yeah, the two, yeah. two teenagers.
0: They came and they were at some table selling stuff or something else. They were anyway, helping
6: put set, set it up.
0: They helped us set it up. Anyway, and this Jewish lady comes over and she goes over to them and she says, Oh, wh- where are you from? You don't look like you're from here. They said, No, no, we're from Syria. And she said, Oh, I'm so sorry for all the things that you've had to go through. Um, you know, I'm a Jew and, and I understand that. And at that, they literally jumped back because mm. they'd never met a Jewish person before. Mm. But I think she, pers- she she carried on. Did she, she give them a hug? I don't know. Anyway, but she, she was very positive towards them and so on. Anyway, the father of the kids heard about it. And he asked the organizers, who was this lady? So he got hold of her and invited her over to dinner.
4: Mm. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard to much, Muslim. <laughs> <laughs>
5: anyway, so that was, that's a lovely story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe a nice one to end up with.
4: Yeah. Well,
5: thank you so much for your time and your help. I know that uh, you're happy for people to chat with you
2: afterwards.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And
5: next week we have Matt Humphrey will be speaking on food and meals as seen throughout the Gospel of Luke. So please come for that. Okay, Clark Can you? Say